When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects we love about our beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles and making the news at this moment in time, it's the, the Geordies, Newcastle United. Of course, they've been the subject of takeover talk for more than two years now. Now, it appears to be on the verge of actually happening. Amanda Staveley's PCP group have lodged papers in England with the Premier League and the relevant government authorities regarding a £300 million takeover of the St James's Park Club. However, Duncan, these things are never straightforward. And today, we're looking at the possibility of the Premier League, Newcastle United, and of course, all the other clubs as stakeholders in the Premier League, potentially being dragged into the proxy war, which has been going on in the Middle East. Please tell us more. Well, okay. Let, let's start with the good news for Newcastle United fans and and, and the plus side of the story, which is, and, and we've you know we've talked in the podcast before about the various people who've been trying to buy Newcastle United. We talked about Peter Kenyon's bid. We talked about the, the supposed bid that from um, Dubai last year, which uh, where the uh, the bidders were. Um, quite happy to be quoted in the press and we told you that none of these deals actually had substantial money behind them and uh, and that the people involved thought they were unlikely to happen. This time it's different. Um, this time the information I have is that Mike Ashley is ready to sell and has agreed a price and it's circa £300 million which will be paid as cash in full um, to him, he will uh, take his personal debt, which is believed to be around £120 million of owner's loans to the club, out, out of the club, and the new owners will inherit a club with no debt, actually making a substantial profit on, uh, on the purchase he made in 2007. And, well, Newcastle will then have 80% ownership by uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, specifically by Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, the chief executive of which um, Yasser al Rumayan will become chairman of Newcastle United. Um, in his own words, in a recent interview, the PIF fund is today worth more than 330 or 325 billion dollars. He says his aim is to increase the value of that fund to $2 trillion by 2030. So we're talking about, by some margin, the wealthiest 
owners in football. How much of that money goes into Newcastle United? Obviously, a 300 million deal is a, is a fraction of the PIF's assets. Um, interesting to note that uh, last November, um, PIF, um, because of Yasser al-Rumayyan, put $400 million into a company called Cloud Kitchen, $400 million into a company called Cloud Kitchen, which was set up by uh, the former lead figure in Uber, another company that um, al-Rumayyan has put a huge amount of money in, a $3.5 billion um, investment into it, because as he said, he liked the app when he used it. So they've got a lot of money to play with. The setup, I'm told from people involved within the deals, will be this, that Amanda Staveley will go on the board of Newcastle United. She'll be joined there by Jamie Rubin, with the Rubin brothers um, taking a 10% stake in the club. Staveley's PCP will have a 10% stake. I'm told that PCP will run the club. So although Yasser will be the chairman, the day-to-day -day running of the club will be done by PCP. They will retain Lee Charnley as managing director for an initial period. Um, my expectation will be that they will bring in their own chief executive after a while. They won't commit to that, the discussions I had with them. They will bring in a director of football. They intend to overhaul the scouting staff. Um, Steve Bruce is to remain in place. They believe that Bruce has done a good job and they see no reason to change him. Uh, when the takeover takes place. Remember, Newcastle are currently 13th in the Premier League. They are eight points ahead of relegation and they are 10 points behind Manchester United in fifth. Um, they, if you ask what their ambitions are for the club and their intentions are for the club, they say it's to take it to the top. Um, and it quizzed on that, there, there's kind of a reluctance to, to say, well, you know, we're going for the Champions League. But what they want in the short term is consistent European qualification. They want to take advantage of the depressed transfer market. They want to be much cannier in the way they recruit players. They obviously want to uh, overhaul the running of the club. Newcastle United's commercial revenue is uh, only marginally higher than it was when Mike Ashley took control of the club, so there's a there's huge scope there to expand the revenues they believe by managing the club better. Um, so they they're kind of steering away from the idea that this will be another Abu Dhabi Manchester City project or another Qatar Paris Saint Germain project, um, saying well it's very difficult to do that these days because we have financial fair play to deal with. PSG and Manchester City didn't have that at the start. There's a, there's a limit on how much you can do. But Newcastle are, are a club with a huge support. Um, it's a single city club. It, it's got a strong history. It's a club in which with the right management and the insertion of the correct football people, and they believe they have the uh, a best of class cadre of of individuals that they're going to bring in to key roles at, at Newcastle United, that they can turn it into a club, in their words, that can compete at the top. So that that's the positive. Um, and they are clear that Mike Ashley has no way out of this deal. 
that the, the, the commitment is made, the contracts are signed, and it's dependent purely on Premier League approval. It's when you get to Premier League approval, which they expected to be straightforward, they expected um, the directors that they intend to appoint all to uh, pass the fit and proper person's test, and they've put in extensive documentation as to how they uh, intend to run the club on a financial basis. So um, that documentation is being looked at by the Premier League, which is standard. So when any new owners come in, they have to present a business plan and the Premier League have to approve to see that they have the capital to support the club on a sustainable basis for three to five years. They believe that wouldn't be a problem. But what you've got now is, I think, two things unprecedented in Premier League takeovers. One is this discussion of um, sports washing which has developed predominantly in England around Manchester City and Abu Dhabi's ownership of Manchester City. But when Abu Dhabi bought the club, it was not mentioned at all. But now you have Amnesty International making extensive statements that Saudi Arabia, with one of the worst human rights records in the world, should not be allowed to buy a football club in England and use that club to wash its reputation. The second thing is... One of the major um, rights holders of the Premier League being um, the Qatar-based broadcasting group, writing a letter to every single Premier League chairman and um, to uh, the chief executive of the Premier League, arguing that the Premier League should block this takeover of Newcastle United by Saudi Arabia because of and I quote, the notorious and industrial scale theft of the Premier League's intellectual property by Saudi Arabia. So what BN are referring to is that uh, um, a channel that is broadcast on the Arabsat station out of Saudi Arabia around the Middle East called BOutQ, which has taken um, the signal from uh, BN's paid for coverage of the Premier League in uh, the, the Middle East and North Africa and sent it to its subscribers um, at a far cheaper cost. So basically they're, they're claiming uh, piracy of their uh, broadcasting rights of the Premier League's intellectual property by a major Saudi Arabian broadcaster. And they're saying because this has happened, the Premier League should not allow... Saudi Arabia to come in and own a Premier League club. So, Duncan, what we have here, let's sort of separate the two points. Um, I've got some personal experience uh, in terms of I was asked uh, by an investment group my thoughts, I think it was about 2013, who were looking to buy a club in England. And my take on it then, as it remains now, uh, and I think many people would agree, is that there are two big underdeveloped uh, and certainly uh, with lots of potential still to grow clubs. Um, you could argue there are more, but I'd say Leeds United and Newcastle United have that special blend of history, heritage, um, and one city club, as you said, but also uh, huge support, probably, if not a sleeping giant, then a big lad having a nap. Um, and ready to be woken up and realise their potential. 
uh, both in ability to uh, become much more uh, than uh, like uh, in Leeds United's case, um, uh, an EFL club, and Newcastle's case, a kind of yo-yo club relegation, Premier League, etc. Both clubs have the capacity and the potential with the right kind of investment to become what they once were. Now, obviously, these negotiations began before the current lockdown, before the current COVID pandemic. And a lot of people were asking the question, who'd be mad enough to buy a football club when there's so much uncertainty? We don't even know when the next ball's going to be kicked, never mind which clubs are going to survive, which clubs will thrive, etc. in the aftermath of all this. But you could look at this as actually a bit of a masterstroke because you get a club at a cheaper price than you would normally get it. Um, as Bernie Mandich told us in his excellent performance on the Transfer Window podcast two weeks ago, if you recruit a manager or even just a director of football with a good eye for a player, then you could pick up a team, a winning team in post-COVID for a fraction of the price it would cost you pre-COVID prices in terms of the inflated market. So if 300 million, as we know, is a drop in uh, PIF's substantial pool of, of, uh, of dollars, then you could be looking at Newcastle becoming a, a proper power once again in English football and it not even taking three to five years to become that because of the current circumstances and because of financial wealth. Obviously, FFP would get in the way of that, potentially, but even UEFA have um, uh, admitted that they'll have to relax the FFP um, rules in the wake of COVID in order to allow clubs to recover properly and um, to encourage the market almost to give it a kickstart back into where it once was and keep clubs going who want to, who need to sell to stay afloat and obviously uh, allow clubs to buy in order that, again, the money recycles. So you've got a very, very interesting proposition for Newcastle United uh, in terms of the um, proposal uh, of the takeover. But at the same time, you have this problem where we have this proxy war, this diplomatic uh, war that's been going on between Saudi Arabia and Qatar for some time. Um, you've got the involvement of Amnesty International and other international human rights groups as well. Um, at some point, the government will be asked, no doubt, to conduct a, a commissioned inquiry into any takeover, whether it goes ahead first and then is reviewed. So there are a lot of difficulties uh, for this takeover in terms of getting it through all of the relevant authorities, but also even just up and running with regards to, you know, the, the let's just say, diff uh, more than difficulties, there are probably quite some serious hurdles to be overcome in terms of the ownership status, as well as, uh, obviously, the supply of where the money is coming from. If you're a Newcastle United fan, you just want the best for your football club, does that, and Manchester City fans have been saying that for years, Duncan, you use the word sports washing. Does that fan wash anymore? The chair of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, Alex Hurst, was asked about this by The Guardian this week. Um, and his reply was, what we do want is a firm sense that we have our club back 
and that it's again going in the right direction. The involvement of Saudi Arabian wealth in the takeover is not a concern right now. And ultimately, any new owners will be judged like all owners are judged by how they treat the fans and how they run the football club. And he, he's received a good deal of criticism for, for saying it's not a concern right now. I, I, I think you would see supporters of many other clubs reacting in a similar fashion um, if they saw, especially having a, an owner like Mike Ashley, who um, has been deeply unpopular and who has failed um, to achieve anything significant on the football field during his 13 years of ownership, the response will be, well, it's our turn. Um, we deserve this. Manchester City have got their affluent owners. Chelsea have had their affluent owner. Um, we get to play with the ball now. And, uh, and why should you criticise us? Because there are other clubs in the league with similarly questionable ownership groups in charge and sport is separate from politics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think part of the problem, problem here is this is showing that sport is no longer separate from politics. And that, and that reaction by Qatar, who are involved in a proxy war with Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi and have been for some time, is as good an indicator of that as you can get. You know, they, they have allowed a letter to the Premier League and to each Premier League clubs specifically saying that Saudi Arabia should not be allowed to buy a Premier League football club to become public because they don't want their rivals involved in the Premier League. I wonder if there's an element of their concern that Saudi Arabia may bid for the, the broadcast rights. Um, when the Premier League rights come up again. And, um, and they, they don't want to lose those to Saudi Arabia, knowing that Saudi Arabia is following and has chosen to follow the same strategy as Abu Dhabi and Qatar to get involved in sports as part of the Vision 2030 plan they have um, in that, that country. And, and that Vision 2030 plan is being cited by people I spoke to, spoke to involved in the bid as a reason why PIF, why Saudi Arabia have decided to invest in Premier League football. They want to get involved in sports worldwide. There's an economic interest there. They want to emphasize that this has been sold to PIF as a, a profitable concern, as a way of making money out of Premier League football with a, a, a time span, an investment time span of over 10 years. Um, Personally, I wonder how much of this argument that it's an economic investment is intended to distract away from the discussion of sports washing and that, that what they're doing is, is using a Premier League club to massage the image of the country, as Abu Dhabi did with Manchester City. And they are certainly conscious of that and they want to make it clear that it's got nothing to do with sports washing. How do you tell that story? Well, you say it's it's an economic investment. Time will tell what comes out of it. But this is political. You know, it, it, it has become political because of Qatar's involvement. It is political because of Abu Dhabi's involvement. It's used on a political basis, the ownership of football clubs. The likelihood is it's going to happen with Saudi Arabia, whether Saudi Arabia are 
purely involved from an economic interest as, as is being described or whether they actually intend to do and to follow that Manchester City model of building a powerful club which can win the Premier League and which can complete in the Champions League. Um, which in some ways, as you point out, in terms of taking advantage of the, 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 the damage that's been done to the transfer market, the ability to sign players on the, on the cheap makes sense. I mean, I've talked to people who are directly and strongly involved in football takeovers in the Premier League on a historical basis. And they question why Saudi Arabia should be buying Newcastle United um, from the perspective of if you want to win as a football side, if you want to go down the sports washing route, would it not make more sense to buy a finished product like Liverpool, um, a huge club like Manchester United, or one that's close to being a finished product like Tottenham Hotspur, where you have a good squad, you have the, the training ground already in place, you have the, the stadium already built. Obviously, the purchase price is more, but the investment cost after you buy is less, and you take a lot of the risk out. So the, the, the argument that Newcastle United is a, is a great buy and it's a great time to do it is dependent on getting everything right. Um, we forget that Manchester City made some mistakes to begin with, um, getting into, the, into bed with the wrong managers and the wrong agents, which cost them money. Uh, but they had ultimately a very coherent professional strategy in terms of uh, we are going to get the best people in. We'll give people the, we'll give people the chance to prove they're good enough, they're not good enough, we'll get rid of them and we'll buy better. Um, and there, if you compare Manchester City's success as a football club and building themselves into the best team in one of the most competitive leagues in Europe to the way Qatar have worked with PSG, it, you know, it, it really is a dramatic difference in terms of the efficiency and effectiveness of what they've produced. And that's not easy to replicate. You do need to have the right people um, leading the club. You do need to have the right people in recruitment. You can't avoid, you, you can't afford to make too many mistakes. And in a financial fair play environment, as much as it exists after COVID-19, th those issues are, are still relevant. Can you make the right decisions at the right time? Everyone now knows how much money Newcastle United have got to play with. So for sure, you have all the, the most prominent agents in the world calling Newcastle United up and trying to find out how much money they're prepared to spend. Can you avoid getting sold the wrong players? Uh, do you decide to go down uh, the route of Paris Saint-Germain and try and buy the most expensive, um, the most prominent individuals? Or do you take a, the more sensible strategy that some, someone like Wolves have done to get themselves into a position of strength in the Premier League and look for the bargains, look for the, look for the, the players you can acquire without big status but will have great value on the pitch? None of these things are given just because you have rich backers behind you. And they are putting in charge PCP Capital to, to run the club. Remember, PCP Capital's involvement in football is to broker the sale of Manchester City to Abu Dhabi, which is a huge success. But they've never run a football club before. So this is, 
this is new ground and new territory for them, regardless of um, how impressive it may be that they've managed to convince Mike Ashley to sell to uh, a, an affluent um, backer that they've brought in to buy the club. And again, also remember, PCP have been trying to do this deal for a long time. Saudi Arabia weren't in the picture from the start. This is one of a number of um, investors they've sold this project to, and Saudi Arabia are the one that they've convinced um, to go with it and and use their money to secure that um, that deal on paper with Mike Ashley. I'm looking at it from the Saudi perspective as well, though, Duncan. Um, we got to assume, and I'm sure it is the case, they've done their due diligence, and by that I mean not just the financial due diligence. They've also done their due diligence regarding um, the social impact of them buying Newcastle United. Um, and they've looked at English football in general and thought to themselves, right, we don't want to get involved for a better phrase, a whole round of willy-waving with uh, other Middle Eastern states. Uh, my club's bigger than yours, etc., etc. Because if they wanted that, they'd go buy Manchester United right across the city from Manchester City. Let's have it out for the title, for the Champions League and all everything else. They clearly didn't want to do that because they obviously have the funds to do that. So why Newcastle? Well, what's been the fairy tale in football globally of the past 50 years? Another city, Leicester City, the small, smallish club, very under successful uh, compared to its history, etc., etc., but led to the Premier League title in the most strange and wonderful way by Claudio Ranieri and um, the late chairman, who has become an absolute, you know, legend folk hero figure now in English football as well as, of course, uh, in, in Leicester itself. Now, you put PCP in uh, as the face of the club. You put uh, two successful businessmen and the Rubin brothers involved as well. So you're not going in to Newcastle, flashing your wallet, saying, right, get his Neymar, get his Ronaldo, et cetera, et cetera. They do it in a downscale way. And any level of success for Newcastle United right now, considering their recent history, is winning a cup. So... Maybe, just maybe, they thought, okay, let's do it differently. Let the politics take care of itself. We're not as high profile um, as uh, both um, Abu Dhabi and Qatar have made themselves, given their decision to purchase PSG in Manchester City. So people won't be looking at us and scrutinising us every week and saying, oh, yeah, the millionaires from the northeast, et cetera, et cetera, the billionaires. Um, have failed to beat, you know, the second division team in the EFL Cup. They won't get that same scrutiny because they are going to go about it in a different way, a more low-key way. But the end result might be astonishing. You might have the next Leicester City title triumph and the name will be Newcastle United. It's possible. Um, the... The version of events I was told is that they looked at various clubs and that PCP persuaded them of the merits of Newcastle United. Um, reasons cited being the club's history, that it's a single city club, the, the degree of support they have and the ability to um, to change things there. Um, so 
the way Mike Ashley has run the club has left them with a relatively low wage bill to turn over. Um, they tend to make profits, not big profits, but they tend to make profits. So from a financial fair play perspective, it's an easier club to come into because you've got to get a bit of room to work um, in the budgets to spend on on players in that way. It, in some senses, it's a bigger club than, than Manchester City were um, when... I think that's the the um, the Claxons going off for the Man City fans there, Duncan. <laughs> but if you were to look at if you were to look, go back to when um, Manchester City were bought by Abu Dhabi uh, and compare their status in the English game and the quality of support they had, the number they're getting oh. into the stadium, the quality of the stadium, etc., etc. Probably back, Newcastle United even, were the bigger club then. Sure. So. But, uh, no, I agree with you. Go back to when Tax and Shinawatra bought the club. There were fans at Manchester City could, were, who could remember playing in second division. So Man City's rise from where they were after the first takeover to Abu Dhabi to now has been you know, quite incredible. And in a way, Newcastle United mirror uh, Man City in a way because they're not Man United. Because for the very fact they're not Man United, they're automatically the underdogs. And people, when they say, oh, "Who's your favourite second team?" etc., etc., okay, Man City doesn't come top of that list, but they come quite close to that list. Um, if especially you're from that part of the country, but you're not Mancunian. Now, if I, if you ask anyone. You know, do you, well, maybe, I don't know, Derby fans, do you resent Leicester City winning the Premier League? They would say, no, we celebrate it. And it was a, it was, it was a national celebration when Leicester City won the Premier League. In fact, I mean, I've got no interest in Leicester City whatsoever, apart from um, being quite friendly with Claudio Ranieri. But I was glued to that campaign. I watched every Leicester City game. And every time Vardy knocked in a goal, I was celebrating like a Leicester City fan. Now, it wouldn't be the same for me for Man United, Liverpool, whatever, because, you know, it's not the same feel-good. But I tell you what, I think everyone would for the Geordies. I think I think Newcastle United is a club kind of close to the heart of many football people in this country. So if they were to succeed uh, or if they were to go in the rise and do well, very few people outside of Sunderland would resent it. I... I think it depends on the management of the public image because Leicester City were doing it from nowhere. Well, they did have money behind them, but it wasn't it wasn't a sovereign wealth fund which is aiming to have two trillion of assets um, by two thousand and thirty. Um, it wasn't uh, with owners who whose human rights credentials are being questioned before they even take charge of the club. It wasn't with owners who um, one of the major Premier League broadcasters is saying has been stealing um, your no. club's money effectively before no, they even true. come in. Um, but, but, it's, but, a, it's, a different, it's a different scenario and it's one it all comes down to how it if it goes through it's how it's handled and, and putting the right people in charge from a football perspective who can, who can run the club well and deal with the problems of having lots of money and use it effectively because having lots of money isn't isn't a panacea you can get yourself into trouble very quickly by having too much money to spend as Paris Saint-Germain have demonstrated as Barcelona's current board are demonstrating uh, in terms of making 
bad purchases and leaving themselves with players that don't fit into the squad and, and ha- aren't happy and have to be moved on. We discussed that with, um, with Graham Hunter last week in detail. What I would say, I think, is in, in Newcastle United's favour here is that PCP have been trying to do this deal for a long time. So they've been working on this for for three years. And and I know some of the people involved and I know the degree of of investigation and study that has gone into making this takeover happen and building a plan for the club post-takeover. So it's not a fly-by-night operation. But that doesn't, again, it doesn't get past some of the fundamental problems of making things work at a football club. Um, and you know, it, it, you are, when you're talking about taking Newcastle United to the top of the English game, that is a, a huge jump. Um, you don't do it with the squad they've got at present. You don't do it with the manager they've got at present for all that they're backing Steve Bruce at present. Steve Bruce is a competent Premier League manager, but Steve Bruce is not going to win titles. He's not going to win the Champions League for you. Um, How many of Newcastle United's current players are going to be competitive at the top of the Premier League? It it is a massive undertaking. Um, And look, there's a lot to be learned here about where the the individuals involved and and what Saudi Arabia's real interest is in this and how important it is to them. In in some ways, it might be better for Newcastle United if it is the sports washing project, if it is um, the Crown Prince's idea that he does want to go and and willy-wave, as you put it, against Qatar and Manchester City and beat both of them and be the first club from owned by an Arab state to win the Champions League because then there will be more focus from the people who have the money on um, succeeding. Um, And and that will probably give Newcastle a better degree of insurance that the money is spent well and the interest in the project sustains itself to a point where they do get the silverware they've been waiting so long um, to celebrate in, in Newcastle coming there. Well, Newcastle United fans, um, get in touch with us. Uh, of course, we value uh, your opinion and your addition to the debate. Is moral opportunism or price worth paying for getting a better team on the pitch? You'd probably argue that the club sold its soul to Mike Ashley. So, you know, maybe selling to, to Saudi Arabia doesn't seem that bad to you. Um, and that's unfortunately the moral quandary that you now face. Um, because we will um, be talking about this, I'm sure, for weeks to come. Um, I think we've given you a very, very analytical uh, and very strong uh, informational uh, podcast today regarding where the situation currently stands. But, of course, we will be back on Friday. So if you have questions, if you have opinions, then please send them to uh, our social media channels at Transfer Podcast on Twitter on Instagram and on Facebook. We've got some more news for you before we close this particular edition of the transfer window. It concerns Manchester United's long-term pursuit of the Borussia Dortmund and England international Jadon Sancho. 
Um, it seems that uh, never a day goes by without a, another mention of this particular transfer, Duncan. Uh, my information as of today is that uh, there's no fee has been uh, agreed between Dortmund and Manchester United. In fact, they are quite some way off that. Of course, the current situation regarding the global pandemic um, I think both clubs are waiting to see how that pans out with regards to before trying to um, come to the correct valuation of the player. Obviously, Dortmund have been quoting 120 million euros. Manchester is not prepared to pay that. I believe, I'm sure, I'm told some people inside Old Trafford believe that Sancho could be gotten for as little as 60 million euros once we start playing football again and the window is open. Another little bit of detail, Duncan. I'm sure I know you, I know you'll probably be on the same Zoom site as the Man U players playing FIFA 20 with them. Other football games are available. Jaden Sancho's certainly been on there. Uh, apparently he's quite the whiz and uh, has been playing with his England teammates and uh, maybe even his new Manchester United teammates. So, uh, and... Uh, Partly playing mostly as Dortmund, but sometimes as Man United. Uh, would you see that as a good as good sign? Uh, the Indian signs for uh, United Sancho Duncan. Certainly not a bad sign for Manchester United. Look, I, I, as we talked about on the podcast before the pandemic hit Europe, Manchester United had got themselves into a position where they were very much favourites to sign Sancho. He is admired by other Premier League clubs. Um, the, I think the only realistic option when you're talking about a hundred million euro plus transfer fee that Borussia Dortmund have been quoting for the player is that he goes to England because that's where the market is for a, a young and extremely talented England international who's demanding substantial wages. So then you go through the other clubs, Chelsea, as we told you in the podcast, were very interested in signing the player in January. Frank Lampard did not think that was the right way to spend the club's money. I didn't want to be associated with his first major transfer fee being for a player in a position that he's already um, well covered for. So that didn't happen. Liverpool liked the player a lot. Again, the information is they think the transfer fee and the wages involved are too high. So with their squad set up as present, it's not the right move for them. Um, Manchester City had the player before, have been looking at other options, which puts Manchester United in a position where they have the money um, and are probably better uh, insured against the pandemic in terms of um, the, the amount of cash that's in the club and the, the amount of uh, uh, revenues they generate each year than most other English clubs. And they have the need. Um, Uli Gunnar Solskjaer really likes the player. Therefore, they were in the box seat when the price was high and when there were more suitors interested. Um, and there's no reason why they, they shouldn't be even better placed in the box seat now that um, other clubs will consider that 120 million um, asking fee even more excessive in, in a, an environment in which transfer fees are set to plummet in value. So. Yeah, it does. again, it looks like it's Manchester United's deal to do. I think the issue will be whether Dortmund make a calculation that 
they don't want to sell at something if Manchester United think it's going to be 60 million they don't want to sell at 60 million they'd rather retain the player for another season and uh, and hope to sell them at, at closer to their valuation once football's transfer market has uh, has uh, recovered it's going to be a very intriguing summer I'm sure in terms of transfers and of course we will keep you right up to date on all the moves before of course anyone else does that's what we do here at the transfer window podcast and you uh, i will have experience of that you've also got some experience of hearing us chat to uh, an old friend of ours mr glenn murray of brighton hove albion um who has come on the podcast a couple of times before and uh, glenn will be joining us on friday's podcast to give you the inside track on what footballers actually do when they're in total lockdown. And I can tell you it involves a certain supermarket, but I'm not going to give anything else away. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to wait for that one. I'm sure you're all on the edge of your seat. Now, I think we've got a first here in terms of hero and villain on today's podcast. Um, First, well, you'll find out why I'm going to hand it over to Duncan. Uh, Yeah, I think think the hero and and villain this week is the same individual, um, depending on what colour of shirt you wear or, or don't wear when you attend your football matches in Newcastle. Um, it will be Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, chairman of PIF and leader of Saudi Arabia. Well, I'm just going to cast my own net there, Duncan, and say that we've got to award Mike Ashley villain as well. Um, so there you go. You've got an outgoing Newcastle United on an incoming one, both villains on the same day. Uh, the reason I say that is because in uh, times like this when people are losing their jobs uh, and people are being furloughed and even in football we get headlines saying football and meltdown etc etc he's a man who falls in a tine and comes out with fish in his pocket unbelievable although i'm sure the geordie faithful the tune will say let's hope they're sharks good that you mentioned furlough Ian, because that's one of the things I would strongly expect to be a PR move of this takeover, should it be approved by the Premier League, um, that the the furloughs at Newcastle United will be reversed immediately to say we've got money now and we won't be using taxpayers' money to pay our uh, non-salaried staff. We will be back on Friday with the magnificent Muzza, Glenn Murray, joining us to let you know the lockdown secrets of professional footballers. And uh, I look forward to talking to Glenn then. Um, as I said, please get in touch through our social media channels at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I am still stuck on at Garbo SJ, but Duncan is slowly advising me and coercing me to change that to make it something less... Uh, ludicrous and hard to work out that's it for today's transfer window people stay safe be well we'll talk to you on friday